0: Here we go, money talk. Here comes the money, 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 <laughs> money, 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 money. dollar, 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 four. dollar, <laughs> jing, bling, <laughs> bling, cut the chatter. You ain't talking money, then you're talking no matter. Jing, jing, bling, bling, cuttin' pockets. We make a dollar, dollar, can
1: a damn soul stop it? Welcome to another edition of the backdoor cover. IB Sports Weekly Gambling Podcast. Uh, I don't know if anything better suits the name of this podcast than the uh, incredible comeback uh, by my co-host, Alan, last week uh, at the Honda. That was the third straight week that we have given the winner of the golf tournament uh, on this podcast. We are on fire in golf right now. We're gonna break down the Arnold Palmer invitational at the end of this podcast. We're gonna discuss a few basketball games, but we should just start by letting Alan gloat for a few minutes.
0: And we're doing it better than anybody else alive. <laughs> That's right, baby. That's right. Me and my boy M with the epic comeback. Had me a little nervous. Um I ain't gonna lie on what was it? Saturday, I think I took a screenshot. and I was like, "Yo, this is the worst tournament I've <laughs> ever bet on." I think like Fowler was like plus nine. I mean, it was awful. And coming into um, the cut, I had three three golfers, um, two to win. That was Lowry and M. And then I had one prop uh, for plus two seventy five with Harris English to finish in the top twenty. And just like the show is called, man, that backdoor came on Sunday, and and I was sitting pretty. Um, it was just a good win, man. It was it was, it was especially good because um, going through my research and 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 trying to pick who I wanted to to play as a winner, I ended up switching M from a prop to outright winner, and switching Harry, Harris English from outright winner to the prop. So just that subtle change. Uh, Flipped the profit for me, and, and I was really excited about that because I, I was I was tossing and turning on it, and um, I really wanted to play Harris English because he fit, but there was just something about his uh, stats in the win that didn't make me too confident that he could pull out a win, so I ended up going with M, who got his first win, and I just wanted to point out that M's first win, he was a thirty to one uh, dog. And when Xander got his first win, he was a hundred and one. So they're on two different playing fields, and that's mostly because he <clears throat> plays every single week, and he and he's a very consistent golfer. So, so um, I I would be I would be foolish not to to admit that some of this also was because Tommy Fleetwood took an unnecessary risk, but <laughs> it is what it is. Um, I benefited from it, so yeah, it was definitely a good win. Um, I wish I could translate that into uh, college basketball, man. It's so difficult this this past like couple weeks, but yeah. Other than that, man, I'm, we're rolling on golf. I'm excited. Um, I look forward to uh, what the Arnold P is gonna give us.
1: And you know, on the other side of a backdoor cover was, I mean, I sent you what I had set up on Sunday and it almost couldn't have gone any worse. And I did get the Westwood at 7 to 1 top 10. So that's obviously a good a good pick. I had Berger at plus 350 for a top 10. So there were some winners, but I mean, I had Swartzel at 7 to 1. He choked played the last four holes. I believe three over to finish like 14th. Uh, I had Jason Duffner at 11 to 1 to top 20. He had a triple on the front fell out of the top 20, got back in it, and then made a double late to finish 24th, and I believe he was one shot out of the top 20. And then Lee Westwood at 80-1 to to win, I really thought with the conditions and just the way it was playing out on Sunday, he was going to have a great chance to win because he was the one guy that I think through eight holes, he had all pars, he had not made a bogey, and when he hit it to like five feet on eight and missed that birdie putt, that was when I knew things were going to start going the other way. But, dude, this is a team effort. I'm going to read this off real quickly and then we'll get the podcast going. Because when I tell you we're on fire, we are on fire. So at Riviera, I gave you Adam Scott 33 to 1. He won. I gave you Sung Kang at 14 to 1, to top 10. That hit. At the WGC Mexico, my boy, Alan, Ivy Yeezus, said Patrick Reed to win at 50 to 1. I actually scoffed at that. He won. He had Rory for a top five at plus 125. Anzer at a top 20 at plus 160. We're still going here. Woodland at a top 20 plus 135. And I gave you Ortiz as a top 20 at plus 450. And they just gave you M at 30 to 1 to win. This last week, he had English at plus 275 for a top 20. And then again, I gave you Westwood 7 to 1 top 10. And Burger plus 350 for a top 10. That is in three weeks. So. You would be up a good bit if you were just playing our picks right now. In golf, it feels good. Hopefully this will continue uh, to roll. But when we had a guy question us on one of the pages that we share our picks asking, like, who the hell are these guys, that's who these guys are. The guys that are giving you three straight winners on the PGA Tour coming off a year that, what did you get, like 12 winners last year?
0: Yeah, I was I was on a roll last year. And then the crazy part we're was, on a roll this I don't year. even – yeah. <laughs> I don't even think I played the Arnold Palmer last year. I think um, around this time I stopped because March Madness was coming. So, if you look at at my plays, it was like January, a couple in February. Then I stopped and picked it back up at the Masters. And then I just took it all the way through the summer and and racked up about 12 wins.
1: And before we get into it, we just want to real quickly promote the IB Sports page. There is a Patron – like all-star package that we highly recommend. We want to thank our sponsor, MyBookie. If you want to use some of our picks on a betting site, just use the promo code IBSports. You'll get a discount or a bonus, excuse me, on your first deposit. And if you listen to these podcasts, whether it be this one, Alan's uh, NBA weekly podcast with Corey. Uh, I did a wrestling podcast last night with Ron Tinsley. We're going to start getting back into that. Man, rate and review us. Help us out. Hook us up, uh, and we can provide more content and stuff for you guys. So, uh, it, let's get into.
0: Go ahead. Hey, wait, real quick, real quick. Is it patron or patron?
1: I don't know, man. You know, I'm.
0: I'm yeah, I'm a I patron, I, I, think I, I can't a, say.
1: No, nah, I mean I'm <laughs> country
0: too. I just when I hear patron, I, I think it's tequila, man. So I was getting excited. I was like, wait, we sponsored by Patron? When did that happen? <laughs> Hold it out. He holding That's out. But now I'm Goal for 2020. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so we're gonna go over just a couple of games. Uh we got two NBA games, two college games, and then we'll get into the golf. Uh the first NBA game, these are both tomorrow night, we got the Indiana Pacers going to Milwaukee. The current line is the Bucks by minus eleven. The Pacers are 37 and 24 on the season. They're 31 and 27 and one against the spread, so a winning record. Uh, the Bucks are 52 and nine. It's just outrageous. They're 35 and 24 against the spread. The Bucks are coming off uh, arguably their worst loss of the year against the Heat. Uh, Giannis had arguably his worst game of the season, but they are 5-0 in their last five home games against the spread. The Pacers are starting to pick up some steam. They're six and one in their last seven, six and four in their last ten. The Bucks are a very good home team. They're twenty-seven and three at home, eight and two overall. The Pacers are sixteen and fourteen on the road, just said they were six and four in their last ten. And the Pacers are all of a sudden just a few games out of the fourth seed in the East, which obviously that gives you home court. That's a big deal. It looks like Oladipo is gonna play in this game from what I've seen. What what do you think about this game? Who do you like right now in it?
0: Um, I'm saying he's a game time call and I'm checking the injuries. It's just him. It's just really him. Um honestly, even if Oladipo plays, I mean, how much of a difference is it gonna make? I mean, the Bucks are the best team in the in the the East for sure, and arguably the best team in all the NBA. We definitely know they got the best record. Um 11 would seem steep, but it's just one of those things because I don't think the um, the Bucks are 100% healthy either. I think, um, I want to say Middleton was uh, out, and I'm, I'm checking that right now. So if y'all hear the clicking, I'm, I'm on Roto Roll right now looking at it. Um, yeah, he had Nexor so in there um, a couple Corver days ago.
1: Are, yeah, as I say, Hill's day today. Corver is out. Same thing for yeah. depot, but they don't have him listed on the injury report. But I did see that where he
0: got banged up. I guess it was in their last game, right? Yeah. So George Hill is is probable. Like it's looking like they're they're at least going to come in relatively healthy, so people will be playing. Um, I would favor a slight lean to a bounce back game here by the Bucks, and I, I hate that term sometimes, but they're just really good at home, and they've they've got the defense to give the Pacers fits. And honestly, they're probably the better overall rebounding team too. I think, I think pound for pound, they're a lot bigger than the uh, Pacers are. So um, that also would matter. And uh, I I can't possibly see Giannis in in the season that he's having right now, um, not coming out and playing out of his mind in this game.
1: Yeah. I I actually was originally going to lean towards the Pacers because, you know, they're playing better. But then this is why you need to look at this stuff. Now they, you know, they've been kind of beaten up on bad opponents during this streak. Now they did, Mm. uh, have a sneaky win over Milwaukee recently, which is obviously great. But the rest of those wins in this six game streak the Knicks, the Hornets, the trailblazers, the Cavs and the Spurs. And I'm with you that the Bucks are going to be pissed, uh, I would expect them to roll. I would also take that whether Oladipo plays or not.
0: Yeah, I don't think Oladipo is going to matter, even if he plays.
1: So the other game, which is the more interesting one, and I hope that Zion plays because I know it's a back-to-back. They've been a little cautious on that. But we have the Pelicans going to Dallas. Quite, uh, right now, there is not an official line that'll be out in the morning. But this is obviously, if he does play, the highly anticipated first matchup between Zion and Luca. Uh, you know, again, the Pelicans are playing back to back. I believe they did finish off their win tonight against the T Wolves. Uh, the Pelicans are currently 26 and 34. They're 30 27 and two against the spread. The Mavs are 37 and 25. Uh, they're 32-25-3 and three against the spread. The Mavs have won all three uh, matchups against the Pelicans this season. Zion did not play in any of those. The Pelicans are right now three and a half games out of the eight seed in the West, which I think everybody just for the television is rooting for them to get in that spot. So you get the LeBron-Zion matchup in round one, even though I don't think it would be competitive. Uh, the Mavs are in the seventh spot. They are surging. They're currently one game back of OKC. Uh, Zion's last name nine games, he's averaging 27 points a game, almost six boards. He's shooting 58%. But Dallas, during their last seven games, and this has been some without Luka, Steph Curry, man, trying to be Steph Curry. He is averaging almost 20 points a game. He's shooting 57% from the three-point line. And in that same time, the unicorn—I guess people still call him that—Porzingis is averaging almost 27 a game, 11 boards. He's shooting 38% from three. Dallas has the highest offensive rating in the league. Uh, the Pelicans have been scoring at a ridiculous rate uh, since Zion has basically came to uh, the team and got over the injuries earlier in the year. Uh, I personally you know, don't like taking either team no matter what the line is because I think this game really is going to be a toss-up. But I did see, and I wanted to ask you about this, They, I saw you can get plus 200 right now on either team winning by five or less, which if you think it's going to be a close matchup, that's not bad odds. And I would be somebody that would probably take the over almost no matter how high it is. I saw this in the Hawks-Blazers matchup that I went to on Saturday where I believe the over was like 238. And I'm sitting there telling my buddy who took it, Scott, who you know, I'm going, that's a lot of points, man. Dame's not playing. Dude, they were past that with like six minutes left because, again, that's two teams that are not very good defensively. They score a ton of points. And it's almost like they can't set the over high enough uh, when you get two teams like that playing. What do you think about this matchup?
0: Um. If Zion doesn't play, I'm going to lean to the Mavericks. Um, it's not going to be – I don't anticipate it being a game that's going to be very defensive. Um, so if you're looking at the over, it's probably the way to go. Um, I know the Pelicans play fast. Um, and I haven't watched many of the Mavs games, but based off the points that they're putting up and with Porzingis playing um, really, really well right now, I would, and like you said, Seth Curry has been playing out of his mind too. I would anticipate that that would continue. Um, I would love to see Zion matched up against Porzingis to see how he handles um, a more stretch worthy uh, four because when he played AD, he did pretty good against AD defensively, but AD also doesn't have the consistency on his range that Porzingis has as, as far as three point shots and things like that. Um, did I see this right? This is a pick'em right now?
1: They have it at even, but I think that what happens is I looked on ESPN, because the line's not up, they just listed it as that, I believe. Okay, all right. But don't right. quote I was me on say,
0: that. Look, Listen, if, if the Mavericks come out and it's even and you got the Pelicans coming on the back-to-back, I would put my house on the Mavericks. <laughs> And that's probably excessive, but I just—it's just such a favorable situation for Dallas. Um, I just—I mean, they're coming off of somewhat of a disappointing run as a team over the last couple of games. I would anticipate that they would definitely be fired up for this. They're in the seventh seed; they don't want to drop to eighth and have to play the uh, Lakers first. So, I mean, they're more than motivated. They've been playing some really good ball. They just haven't always put it all together. Because um, I think a couple games ago, they, they even dropped the game to the Bulls. Like, it's kind of embarrassing. Yeah, they 109-107 lost to the Bulls. They should come out and play pretty good. Um, Rick Carlisle's is way better coach um, than uh, our guy over in in uh, New Orleans. So I'm not even going to say his name because <laughs> he's a placeholder right now. But um yeah, let me let me get the Mavericks here. Um I haven't I haven't been on the Mavericks as much as I should have been. Um a lot of that is just because their lines even their their uh props have been somewhat inflated, but they've done pretty well um considering that they're a very popular team uh publicly. So they've done very well and um I think if we can get them in a situation where we're talking about a bucket like two to three points here, um, I, I I really like that.
1: And I can't believe this. I just checked. The Pelicans actually blew that game against the T-Wolves. It was a game that they were leading pretty much the entire way. They were outscored in the fourth by seven points. And, again, just to show you kind of where they were at defensively and offensively, 139 to 134. They had, um, I mean, a ton of guys score a bunch of points. Zion had another big game. I think he had 26 or 27, but uh, their hopes for the playoffs are definitely dwindling when you lose to a team like Minnesota. Before we move on to those two college games, I saw you can still get Zion at rookie of the year for plus 250. Do you think that they have to make the playoffs for him to win that, or do you think if he continues to put up the numbers that he has the rest of the way and with all the attention and the hype and everything, is he going to steal that rookie of the year from Josh?
0: I mean, I think it's just gonna boil down to the same argument we had last year when it was Trey and Luca. I think wasn't Trey kinda like not playing early on or, or hurt or something yep. or Luca. He was just hurt. played, he what, played something really happened bad with, early. Yeah. So something happened where it was like basically for like half the season he wasn't really doing anything. And um and then Luca was just crushing. And so people were like, once he started playing better, I guess after All-Star break, everybody was like really hyped. I mean, right. don't get me wrong. Everything Zion is doing is great, but I, I don't think it should erase the body of work that Ja has done the entire year. Um, I also think that if the Grizzlies let Ja really loose, he would run away with it more. But he still has has these games and these moments where he's like trying to be too much of a pure point guard in this like dude you can do everything so continue to do everything be the scorer um you can still pass and all and that's great but but get your 27 plus a night if you can i mean he's got he's got enough athletic ability um and he can get to the basket um enough in this league where you can get free throws left and right he could really do that he could average 25 plus a night if he wanted to but Like, me and Corey talked about this on our NBA podcast last week, and and it'll probably be something i continue to bring up. It's just sometimes you can't tell if it's Ja holding himself back or if it's the coaches holding himself back. Like Corey pointed out, he is extremely reckless um, and aggressive going to the (laughs) basket so much to the point where Russell Westbrook himself was like, yo, you need to calm it down a little bit. So if Russell's telling you you, you, you're being too uh, aggressive, then you're definitely going crazy. So, um, maybe they start resting him down the stretch uh, because they're not really in playoff contention, and then that might boost Zion a little bit more because he's gonna have some very big minutes and, and big moments and big games, and he's gonna be on TV a whole lot. That exposure might give him a boost, but I, I just I don't really know how they they voted honestly, but it, it does worry me thinking that this guy's only really had half a season and Josh has been here playing good ball since day one.
1: First off, to say that Westbrook is saying that, this is a guy that is averaging, what, 27 shots per game uh, for the month of February. So that's, that, that is that—that is definitely – you got issues with, I mean, when
0: Russ is the one I telling think, you that. <laughs> yeah, and I think the thing is is that, like, Josh ja does – some very dangerous things, man. I don't know if you watched him a lot this year, but I, like the way he attacks the basket is so reckless, man. Like him trying to jump over Kevin Love, him trying to jump over Anthony Davis. I mean, he literally has no fear. He will bang on anybody that is in that paint and he just takes off from anywhere and just contact is just whatever to him. And, and it is great. You know, when you're, 21, <laughs> but like Russell and them were saying, like, yo, if you, you you're a very talented player, you have a a bright future.
1: Tone it down.
0: Hold on. Sometimes it's okay to go for the layup, or or uh, put yourself in a position that when you do hit the ground, you're not you're not gonna break an ankle or or, or you know blow out a knee or something. Because like contact, man, with with the athletic ability of some of these guys it is unsafe when they take off in the air and they're trying to jump over people and stuff. It just takes one one time where you mistime it and, and you know, you might be looking at uh, a career-defining injury and it's not necessary uh, and, and with a guy who has a, a good shot stroke and can get to the basket quick enough where he can just lay the ball up. I mean, I've seen Russell change his game like that where he's, he's actually doing more layups than, than dunks. I mean, he dunked on, like, three people the other night, but it was a key moment, and, and they needed that. But it's plenty of times where he could continue to play that way, but he doesn't. He just takes the layup, uh, takes the contact in a way where when he hits the ground or, or he can protect himself once he gets that contact. So it's it's a longevity thing. And um, I really think the the Grizzlies are taking notice of that. Um, because obviously if players are noticing it, then, you know, the organization would notice it. But I'm I'm not sure if they're taking precautions just yet as far as his minutes go. So, again, that is something that I would keep an eye on if I were considering taking um, Zion, is that you, you do have a good shot, especially if the Grizzlies continue to, you know, get further and further away from playoff contention, which they you anticipate they will. And then Zion and the Pelicans are getting more exposure, getting bigger games um competing for the last spot in the playoffs it it gives you a boost if you're a Zion backer for sure
1: absolutely and I mean just to prove your point with Jod's the NBA season and someone's career it's really more of a marathon than a sprint when you're playing 82 games a year plus if you make the playoffs more and I also agree with you that I'm the biggest Zion fan in the world I've been hyping him up since his freshman year that he's he's the best athlete I've ever seen play college basketball. I mean, he was just such a freak, but I don't believe that somebody that plays that small of a sample size, no matter how great it is, is deserving over a guy that has had maybe not quite as great of a, you know, game-to-game season as Zion has, but he's been doing it for the entire season. And, I mean, the Grizzlies are looking like they're going to make the playoffs, which I don't think very many people predicted that, at the beginning of the season, so I, I definitely think it's Jaws' uh, rookie of the year, and you know, unless something crazy happens in this last month or so, uh, is there anything else yeah. you want to do on that, or you want to get onto the college basketball?
0: Yeah, no, that's that's enough. I can save it for the NBA podcast. <laughs> per-
1: perfect. So I got two games for the college slate tomorrow night. The first one was honestly because of the spread confused me. I know you've been really high on Florida State this year. They are only a two and a half point favorite going to Notre Dame. Florida State is twenty-four and five on the season. They are fourteen, thirteen, and two against the spread. Uh the they're going to South Bend, Notre Dame is eighteen eleven on the season. They're fourteen eleven and two against the spread. FSU is 4-1 and one in their last five. They have wins against Louisville, NC State, Pittsburgh, Syracuse. They lost their most recent game to Clemson. Notre Dame is 3-2 and two in their last five. They have losses in that period of Duke and Wake Forest, and they have wins over North Carolina, Miami, and Boston College. Florida State won the first matchup this year at home, 86-84, Why is that line not any bigger? Because you do think Florida State is a a considerably better team than Notre Dame, correct? Is it just the the home court advantage?
0: Yeah, I mean, home court is huge in these conference games, man, especially uh, with Notre Dame. And and they've, like, at home, they've had a lot of close games and upsets. Um, Tooth seems like a sucker play. I would have to look to see if, if um, Florida State's got anything to play for, because I mean, conference championship or conference tournament is coming up soon, and if guys ain't really moving up in the seating, they're already ranked high enough. It could be one of those games where they they play good enough to win, but not necessarily with the with the emphasis on winning, kind of saving themselves for uh, the the bigger games, which would come in the next um the next week. Um. I will also say that there is an interesting stat um, that I think people should look into when they consider playing Florida State. Florida State is one of the best free throw shooting teams in the nation, I believe. Um, And you would think it wouldn't really matter, but in games like this where it's going to be close or you anticipate it being close, if they're going against a team that fouls a lot, um, and this is what happened um, when they played Louisville, I played them to beat Louisville, and they literally came back because of free throws. And I want to say they shot like as a team over 70%, and they had over like 20 free throws as a team. And there was a four-minute span in that game because I was watching it when I was at the gym. There's a four-minute span in that game where nobody made a bucket, and Florida State went on like a 12-0 run because of free throws. And that matters, you know. Um, it's probably something that a lot of people don't get that deep into, but I think it really matters uh, when you got teams who, who might go through lulls and can't score, um, and, and that's a way that they can they can kind of overcompensate um, for their lack of scoring. With that being said, I'm a little scared Notre Dame to have one of those games where they can't miss because I've seen that before. So um, on the surface, I'm leaning Florida State right now. I'll just have to do a deeper dive into the defensive numbers and, and, and of Notre Dame and how they play at home. I'm not that scared to take Florida State on the road. They had a good win against Louisville earlier in the season on the road, um, and I think they've ground out a couple other wins um, on the road. And they're generally a, a decent uh, play to cover the spread in a hostile environment. So two-point favorite might not call for that being such a hostile environment to some people's eyes, but I believe Notre Dame will be up for this game. So, again, just want to do a deeper dive before I, I finalize that pick. And
1: just I looked it up because of some of the questions you asked, and I should have looked this part up because Notre Dame is 14-3 and three at home. So kind of to make your point, yeah,
0: no, obviously they're, they're they are a good
1: home team. Yep, yep. Uh, and Florida State is playing for something because – Louisville is currently a half game lead on them for I guess what would be the number one seed. Uh Duke is a game back and Virginia is a game and a half back. So, uh and considering the next team is five games back, it's going to be between those four teams over these last what two or three conference games uh to kind of, you know, set up the standings. I don't know if it really matters with those top four teams cuz they're going to have to go through them anyway, correct? Uh but mm-hmm. You know, I I don't know if that makes a big deal or not. You would be somebody that could answer that more than I could.
0: Um, it it kind of matters. But in the ACC, like it, the ACC, the way it's set up, honestly, you're not really getting a break if you're the one seed. I mean, in other conferences it probably does help. But in the ACC, I mean, we've seen teams from the back end, Become problems in the tournament all the way up until the finals. So I don't really think it'll it'll be that big of a deal um, in the sense that if for some reason Florida State doesn't get the one seed, it's not like they don't have a chance. And and I think I talked them up when we did the uh, the conference tournament odds, and I think they were like seven or eight to one. And I was like, that's kind of criminal because they were playing good ball then, and that and that was what about a couple weeks ago. Um, I still right. like them at those odds, especially after seeing how Duke played. Um, and then knowing what I know about their head to hit with Louisville, they've already beat Louisville twice. They beat them at home. They beat them on the road. They beat them probably w- more impressively on the road because they dropped almost 80 points on Louisville in Louisville. So uh, we're talking neutral site. I- I've always been a big fan of Florida State uh, on, a neutral, on a neutral court for the last couple years. I think they've Proven that they can handle the uh, the bigger programs. Um, they've had uh, a decent showing against Duke as well. Duke's not playing the best ball right now either. So again, I don't. I'm I'm so committed to Florida State at this point. I don't really think it matters um, unless they like lose out for the rest of the, uh, the remaining games of the season. Um, I'm not too concerned with where they land.
1: And something else is interesting. Just looking at Florida State's four and one against top 25 teams, it's the best record in the ACC. Notre Dame is 0-5, so I don't know if that will play a huge factor, but Florida State is obviously, to your point, been a lot better against stiffer competition than Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. So the game of Wednesday, and these are, again, a team that I know you have hyped up when we discussed college basketball before. Villanova is going to Seton Hall. The line as of right now is Seton Hall giving four points. Uh, Villanova is 22 and seven on the season. They're 13, 14, and two against the spread. Seton Hall is currently 21 and seven, 18 and 10 against the spread. Villanova is four and one in their last five. Their only loss during that time was to Providence. Seton Hall is three and two in their last five, having won their last three against Butler. St. John's and Marquette. Seton Hall won the first matchup in February, 70 to 64. I know you've been big on Seton Hall. Who do you like in this game?
0: Yeah, I've been big on Seton Hall. They kind of let me down a couple games here um, over the last like week or so, but I'm not necessarily ready to jump off the ship just yet. Um, I'm not really high on Villanova when they're not In Philly, it's just how it is a lot of times. Um, And and what I think this is going to come down to is that both teams can play defense, but only one team has a prolific scorer who can go off at any given moment, and that would be Seton Hall. Um, I'm still high on Miles Powell. Um, He's he's going to turn it up at, at some point. I mean, he ever since he came back from that concussion, I think he's had a couple games where it almost came. Back together, but then it didn't, and I think this is the time of the year where guys like him and, and Howard and these other like prolific scorers start to really heat up. So I think four and a half is a little steep, uh, but I can see it probably falling under the same lines where where they win by like six, because it's, it's at Seton Hall. It's a big game for them. They're gonna be hype. Um, I, I don't see how they don't come out. And, and, and hit Villanova in the mouth early. Because, again, Villanova doesn't have the, the best offense. They've got a good defense, and they, they do well in, in the half court. But when it comes to Seton, they can play fast. They can still play defense while they play fast. And, again, I think they have the best player on the floor, especially in the backcourt in, in Miles Powell. So I would say advantage Seton Hall. But I would, wouldn't take the four and a half. I'd probably buy it down the four.
1: And I believe uh, the Seton Hall with a victory, looking at the standings, would actually lock up the number one seed going into that conference tournament. So we're going to now move on to golf. uh, Get ready. We need to get ready. We (laughs) are trying to go for a four straight week of uh, picking the winner. Uh, This is, you know, still a very big event. It is kind of sad to see that with the the change in the schedule and I think with Arnold Palmer's death uh, a few years ago, you'll notice like Tiger, who has won there eight times, he's skipping the event. I completely understand it. He's trying to get ready for Augusta. He's obviously going to play the players. I'm assuming he's going to do the the match play. He doesn't want to overdo it. That's the reason there's only five of the top 10 players in the world. Typically you would get more, Uh, We're going to start with the key stats. This week it is strokes gained, tee to green, opportunities gained, sand saves gained, uh, and then the 200-yard number is big. you got par-3 efficiency from 200 to 225 and the proximity from 200-plus. Uh, this is an event that has been dominated by internationals in recent years. Uh, just to go over the winners real quick, you had Molinari in 2019 with that 64 on Sunday. Rory McIlroy won in 2018. Mark Leishman in 2017. Jason Day in 2016. And Matt Every in 2015. Uh, this is obviously an American course, but you could argue it's sort of an open venue. And what I mean by that is it's kind of a link style golf course, but with water instead of all the the bunkers and high fescue, it has some very difficult rough as well. Uh, Something that I saw from last year, which I, I forgot about Mickelson said the rough was so long last year, it messed up his swing. And he literally considered skipping the players because he said the rough had done such a number on his swing that he was worried that if he, you know, if the rough was bad at Sawgrass, it could lead to an even bigger issue for that season. He didn't have that issue, and he ended up playing at the Players. But that just to me is fascinating to hear that, and just to kind of give my my point about it being sort of an open venue. You got obviously Mullinar and Rory. They both won Opens. They won, you know, the last two years. Leishman was a runner-up in an Open. Tigers won there eight times. He's a three-time Open champion. Ernie Ells has won here twice. He's won an Open. Uh, Bay Hill is the longest course on the Florida swing. It is not as difficult as the Honda, but it is very difficult. It's the ninth-hardest course on tour last year, and it was the second-hardest par-72 the fact that it's the ninth hardest and it's a par 72, and those guys have four par fives, they're typically going to get their, their scoring because they just eat the par fives. That's what all pros do. So that shows how difficult this course is. It's like all Florida courses. If the wind really blows, it's going to be difficult. It's going to play firm and fast. And I was watching Golf Channel tonight, and they said uh, over and over again, players are saying they hope they end up cutting the rough Uh, because apparently they have grown it out again, much like they did last year. Uh, Where do you want to go with us starting? Do you want to kind of go over some guys we like? Do you want to just start by the players you're looking for? What do you want to do?
0: I mean, um, I did see the Mickelson quotes in some of my research about the rough. Uh, I Saw that it also plays difficult, like the Honda, but not as difficult. I'm trying to remember last year if I even – if I bet on it, if I looked at it. I, I don't know. But I definitely remember the rough. And I remember, like, the swings being awful and, and people complaining about it. But I, I just don't recall if I had tried to bet it or not. Um, I guess where we could start is just, you know, some of the guys we're looking at, you know, I don't really – cap it officially until tomorrow, but um my guy Xander keeps popping up. I guess I'll give him one more week. <laughs> He's gotta break through eventually. I will say Roy McElroy is five to one right now and, and it's just not a lot of value in that, man. Like it's just not worth it's it. Fine. Like five to like five to one, it's just not worth it. And honestly I think this is one of the more like weirdest like capped events that we've had this year. I mean, there are guys who I the was being like... Yeah, I was ex- expecting them to be 60-1 to 1 or something like that. They're like 100-1, to 1, and I'm like, dude, hold on. The mm-hmm. field is not that strong. <laughs> Honestly, people keep saying it's a strong field, but if Rory is the best golfer and the next best golfer is Tommy Fleetwood, a guy who's never won a PGA Tour event, never Preach, won a PGA Tour, um, Tour event. And he's he's the second best golfer by the odds. I mean, I'm not buying that, man. I'm not buying that. He's not Justin Thomas. He's not... I mean, Patrick Reed is at least appropriately capped at 25-1, to but I would argue that he should be the second best golfer by the odds than uh, Tommy Fleetwood. I mean, Bryson DeChambeau, another guy who's known to not necessarily close events, is like the third best one. So I'm I'm just a little annoyed by that. Um, But I'm going to fade Roy um, this week, again, I say this all the time, but one, the odds are just not worth it for me. And then, honestly, if he wins this week, I'd much rather take my chances on him winning the players next week where he'll definitely be super motivated. I really don't see him coming out trying to to dominate a field other than maybe win it just because it's Arnold Palmer's event. But I don't really see the motivation in him. Honestly, I anticipate him not even playing in it because the players does – Uh, matter more, and he's the defending champ at the players. So it just would make more sense if he um, just waited until then, but maybe he felt like he needed to get some reps. Um, Hideki Matsuyama is another guy who kind of has my eye. I'm focused on par-5 scoring um, based off of some of the Mm -hmm. things I've read and and the idea that the course already plays difficult enough. If you can score on the par-5s, um, you stand a better chance. And I'm not talking, like, Eagles, even though this, this course is definitely Eagle-friendly or more Eagle-friendly. Well, so than if All
1: four, the, all these guys can get to it. I mean, all of them. Yeah. Like, you hit the ball on yeah. the fairway, everybody can get to these four, fives, and two.
0: Yeah, and, and that's the key. You got to hit it on the fairway. You um, got to you gotta, you gotta um, score. Um, on the part fives. And, and that's been something that's been kind of lacking um, on tour this year, honestly. I don't know if it's the pin placement or what, but I haven't seen a lot of people getting eagles and birdies as much as I'm used to seeing uh, on these par fives. Uh, the one thing I will caution too is that the course plays long by the numbers, but in actuality, if you look at what people are saying um, over the last couple of years, when they play here, they usually go less than driver um off the tee a lot and and that means a lot to me because then we're going to be talking about iron play and and not all bombers are created equal when it comes to iron play and you're going to want to at least put yourself in a position um on your approach shots at this place to par out at least you don't want to you don't want to give away a lot of a lot of shots because you're going to be in a lot of trouble early um I might mess with um my uh other favorite Asian golfer, um, An. Major I think like it might be a good week. Yeah, he might be a, it might be a good week for him. Um and, and just because the lesson driver, the idea that, that the par fours, you're gonna need to score on them, um, but he's also uh, pretty good on par fives. And then one guy who will be hitting my prop board um is a VCU alum. I love him to death, Lanto Griffin um, I had to do a deeper dive, but I'm, just based off his par-5 scoring and his uh, ability to keep the ball in the fairway when he drives, I'm not really too concerned with distance um, because, again, his par-5 scoring is, is superb. Um, I'm looking at him to, because he's like 5-1 in the top 20, so I'm looking at him um, to maybe uh, touch the board at top 20. Uh, as far as long shots go, I really haven't looked, but I mean you got some pretty good odds on long shots this week. Like Scotty Scheffler is a hundred to one. I mean and again, he's got a win on tour, I think. Maybe or maybe he doesn't, but he's gotten closer than Tommy Fleetwood. Well he's
1: got he's <laughs> had two wins in the uh on the Corn Ferry last year and he's already been close, I mean, in a couple of, you know, PGA
0: events. Yeah, so I mean I um I like him Maybe in props, I'm going to take a look at him. And then I hesitate to fade him because, again, if you think about last week, and he's also a good par-5 scorer, um, he's got good momentum. He typically doesn't get phased by playing every single week anyway. It's just really hard to win back-to-back on tour. And and that was part of the reason why I didn't pick Victor Hovland um, last week either. It's just really hard to imagine that you're going to win back-to-back but I will tell everybody that you're getting great odds on Fitzpatrick, who was the runner up last year and he's coming in at fifty to one again this year and he's been playing some pretty good golf uh so matthew fitzpatrick um I think is somebody that people should take a look based off the course history um but again, another tournament where ultimately you're not really you're not really um crazy if you take a chance okay so I, I think i said that last week too like last week's spill was hey this is going to be a tough course um so take your shots it, it's no harm in, in in falling on your face because this is a tough course it's kind of the same spill it's a tough course it plays long so you want to give yourself a chance with people who can score on the par fives but ultimately there's no shame in losing here but um definitely take a look at that angle of european um uh, our or uh, foreign-based golfers doing pretty well at this course.
1: Absolutely. I'm going to go through the guys that I got to win, and then I'll go through. I got some top five, top tens, and top 20. Some of them you have mentioned. I really like Adam Scott. He's the lowest odd guy I'm taking this week, plus 2,700. Uh, he's 21st tee green, 24th in Sanse's, The big thing, we've talked about this going into Riviera, top 30 in putting, top 30 in three-putt avoidance, and he's ninth in scoring average. He's got four top 25s here and two top 10s and eight starts. Uh, The second one is because of value and track record. you got Justin Rose at plus 3,400. He has, just at this event alone, five top 10s, eight top 25s and 13 trips to Bay Hill. He is one of those guys that... He just the way Justin Rose scores is it's not always pretty. He just can do it if he if his putting is on. Justin can compete in this. Uh, Leishman is one of my favorite plays this week. He's plus thirty seven hundred. He has a win here. He won at Tory earlier this year, which is in the same kind of district of golf courses. Uh, He plays so well on firm, fast courses, and in the last four years, he's got a 17th, a 1st, a 21st, and a 23rd. He's great out of the rough. He's great in the wind, Uh, and both of those will probably be an issue this week. You talked about on – I absolutely love him at plus 4,000. He shot 76 last week at the Honda and then came all the way back to finish tied fourth. He was best in the field in strokes gained total. Strokes gained tee to green, and this is what was insane for him. He is historically not a great putter. He gained three strokes putting per round in the last three rounds. If he does that, he is going to be in contention here. He has a great track record here as well. You talked about Fitzpatrick. He's also had a 13th and a 27th finish here on top of his second. This is the thing about Fitzpatrick that makes me feel very confident about him. He is unbelievable in Florida. He has 13 uh, starts in Florida. He's gaining over two shots on the field on the greens. At Bay Hill, he is averaging over four strokes on the field per round. Uh, And, I mean, that's insane. It's only off of three starts, but that's enough of a track record where when you're getting 50-1 to odds, you got to love it. Another guy I really like this week is Henrik Stenson, plus 3,700. Other than Tiger, who, by the way, I didn't get to gloat about this a little bit because, you know, I love that GOAT man. He won here eight times. Think about that, eight times. There's so many guys on tour that would take eight wins for their career. He's won eight times at this event, uh, and he did it, I believe, in an 11-year stretch. But anyway, Stenson has made the cut in 10 out of 11 trips here. He's got five top tens, four top fives. Uh, he has three starts on the European Tour in recent months. They're all inside the top forty. He may be the most solid play in that area. Uh, for some of my longer shots, I like Yoki Neiman, plus eight thousand. He ran second only to Rory in the stats model. When you put together those five stats we we discussed, he's fifth in opportunities gained. He's eleventh in key proximity distance. That two hundred yard distance. He only had the one trip here last year. he finished tied forty six but in that time he's had a win. He's playing well. This is the kind of golf course that should set up well for him and then the two longest shots are both kind of ridiculous, but again, it's just sometimes you gotta trust your gut. I know Molinari is playing like garbage, and he is but if there was garbage. ever a place that, <laughs> if a, if there was ever a place for him to find it, it would be here. He is the defending champ. He averages over 28 rounds here, 2.21 strokes gained on the field at this venue. It's not a small sample size. Only Rory is slightly better at that. His last seven starts here are a win, 26th, 7th, 9th, 17th, 5th, and 34th. Uh, This is the place that if he is going to get it going and you're getting those kind of odds, I wouldn't mind throwing a little bit there. And then the other guy I like, and again, this is just because I just feel like that Wolf is going to bust out. He's got so much talent. He dominates par fives, as you discussed. He's proven he can play well on the wind. The 3M also has a lot of water, and you're getting him at 100 to 1. I also like that play. I'm going to go through real quick some of these top five, top tens, and top 20s I've listed. Let me know what you think. Uh, I'm not going to go back over their you know stats if I've already discussed it. You can get on at plus 900. Uh, he finished 10th and 14th the last two times here. When you're getting those kind of ads for a top five, his last three starts on tour or a fourth, a 29th, and a ninth. I like that combo at those odds. Uh, Jason Day is plus 650. He is another guy that just has an unbelievable track record here. Uh, last year he wasn't playing that well. He finished 22nd. He's got a win here, uh, 17th, and two other top 10s. Again, you're almost getting 7-1. to And then Stenson, we talked about it, you're also getting plus 700 odds on him for a top five. The top 10 guys I like, I love Adam Scott at plus 230. Uh, he's already had two top 10s here. Leishman, is, you're getting plus 380 odds, and he's had two top 10s and his last four starts here. Uh, The two that I really like at the top ten, though, and they're longer shots are Jason Kokrak. You're getting them for plus 850. Just in his last six starts, he has a 10th, a 20th, a 6th, and a 4th. That's three top tens in his last six starts. You're getting almost 9-1 to odds. I love that. Uh, Ian Poulter is another guy to where he's at uh, a plus 1,000, 10 to 1. He's made nine straight cuts here. He has six top 25s, four top 20s. Now, he only has two top 10s here, but when you have four top 20s, you're right there. I could see him moving up his last three starts, 27th, 17th, and 16th, and then I got a few top 20s. Bubba Watson is plus 220. He's got four top 25s and six starts here, so he's right in that form. He's in great form. He's uh, had an 18th, third, and sixth in his last four starts. Again, par fives. Almost nobody plays him better than Bubba. Another guy I really like this week is Emilio Grillo at plus 430. He has three appearances here. He has a 26th, a 7th, and a 17th here. The big thing, too, he is fourth in that 200-yard proximity number on tour. So you're getting a guy with a good track record. Two of the numbers on here were the par threes for 200 and over 200-yard approaches. He's fourth on tour. That's a good combo, especially at almost 5-1 to odds. We've been riding Corliss Ortiz, man. He's at plus 470 for a top 20. He's 25th tee to green. He's top 50 in the 200-yard proximity, and he's in good form, and he's done well for us. And then the last one is kind of a long shot for a top 20, Sebastian Munoz plus 500, and his six starts this year. He has a 14th, 26th, 21st, and a 17th. But this is the thing I really like about him. He makes 4.3 birdies per round. That is 18th on the tour. And this is a young player from Columbia with a ton of talent. I could see him breaking through this week, having another good performance. And when you're getting 5-1 to one on a top 20 for a guy in that kind of form, that's the kind of stuff I'm looking for. Are there any of those you really like or don't like?
0: Uh, I like Carlos Ortiz. Um, I like, I like the odds on the top twenties when they're heavy on guys who are kind of under the radar. Cause essentially you're going to get the Carlos Ortiz's or, or one of those guys to break through in a top 20. And, and I, I, I always like that. Like when we're talking long shots, if we can get them, if you got a long shot, you really think has a chance of winning, um, Putting them in the top ten could, could, or the top twenty could really pay out. Um, I mean, it was. Other than that, it, it's really hard. <laughs> it's really hard to like to like figure out like what's the angle that we take. You know, like when these courses are hard like this, I mean, you just hope and pray that that a guy can. Um, can can stay true to to keeping the ball in the fairway and things like that. Um, I will say uh, Neiman Ortiz are all guys who are young but coming under the radar on strokes gained from tee to green. Um, I also like uh, a guy. I don't know if you mentioned him or not, but Colin uh, Morikawa. I actually like him more than yep. Wolf. I think he's getting more respect than Wolf is. He's never missed a cut. The which is crazy. Yeah, the problem with Wolf is that he just is having some inconsistencies from, um, from here to there, um, especially on the putting surface. I think that's really what what bothers me with him. It is. It's sad. Uh, Kokrak and, and Molinari are just not in good form, but they've got good course history. If you, play, if you played it, I wouldn't play them both, and I would probably lean more to uh, to Molinari Mal- than I would uh, Kokrak, because just something about a cool-cracks game doesn't strike me as somebody that can actually close out a tournament like this. Um, other than that, just be mindful of the fact, like I said, the course is long, but a lot of people don't typically use the driver much. So you want to make sure you, you pay attention to that.
1: Uh, and I would like to say that if you were looking for a comp, I really would look at the Open Championship. Guys who have a good record in the Open Championship have done very well here. And it was interesting when I was reading that today, and then I actually started doing the research where you start looking at the guys in the top ten every year, and you go look at their history in the Opens, there is a direct correlation there where you see those guys over and over again. And it's sort of like the Open because you need to have distance, but you need to have distance where you're in the fairway. You know what I mean? You can't be getting in those pot Mm -hmm. bunkers where you can't be getting in the water here. And it's very key not to be in the rough, just like it's not to be in the fescue. But you also got to get it out there where you can tack the par fives, take advantage where you can, because it's going to be firm and fast. And, you know, you can't really run it up like you can at a open tournament. But there was a lot of direct correlation to that. One other thing I did mean to mention is this is an invitational that means there's only 120 players in the field. That means a larger percentage of the field is going to make the cut. So you have a little better chance uh, for like DraftKings or FanDuel of, uh, you know, picking guys that are actually going to get to play all four rounds. And it also means that, uh, you know, more people will just obviously make the cut. But this is not going to be like last week where you're going to see guys that make the cut on the number and then are competing on Sunday because historically uh, this course can be anywhere from 11 to 12 under to as high as 18, 19 under, but I don't see anybody who would make the cut probably around even one under, maybe two under, then getting to that number over the weekend.
0: Yeah. Um it's it's gonna to be tough. That's <laughs> all as as we say it. The another <laughs> course is gonna to be tough. Like if you compared it to the Honda classic, honestly, the numbers are, are close enough that you, you should be somewhat concerned. Um I did so poorly in DFS last week, I'm not even gonna try again this week. I'm just gonna focus on uh just trying to win some money. Um Wait, did I get dropped? No, you're not. Oh good. no. Okay, I was about to say, I yeah, I got dropped. I hear you. Um, <laughs> well, I will say that um, I would check the weather. I'm going to check the weather tomorrow for sure. Um, but when all else fails, and, and i said this on previous podcasts before, I'll say it again. When all else fails and you're not sure about the weather, but when might be in play, find you some ball strikers, okay? Uh, yep. Neiman's a ball striker. Uh, More cow is a ball striker. Rory's a ball thanks, striker. Thanks. um yeah, Stenson is, is one of the well-known ball strikers. Find you somebody that's going to hit and be true. Adam Scott, hit, truth, Adam Scott uh, is a ball striker, even though he can't putt.
1: <laughs> this year he can, Stupid though, man. Top 30 top. Yeah, in every yeah, category. Yeah. It's
0: crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The minute you bet him, he won't win. But then the minute you don't bet him, he wins. It's annoying. We've but already yeah. won with him once, Mitch, bro.
1: Come on, have some faith. Yeah.
0: Man, I hate Adam Scott. Adam Scott owed me from like, a lot of <laughs> tournaments last year. But um,
1: definitely,
0: definitely, uh, like I said, default to to ball striking if you're not a hundred percent sure um, on on what to do. Uh, and then also before we go, I just want to point out that honestly, if I could have, I went on a two, maybe three month stretch where maybe it's too much because we haven't been that long in. But I did one on a two-month stretch where I'm pretty sure I came in second place like seven weeks in a row. Like, <laughs> imagine if I had won, like, just just half of that, half of that. Man, we would have so much <laughs> to, like, trash people about. But, yeah, anyway, just listen to the podcast, people. Share the podcast. Rate us. Um, I mean, we're giving out winners. We could be jerks and, and charge people for it, but we're really not. So I mean you're not yep. gonna get better you're not gonna get better advice for free anywhere else.
1: And support the other podcasts. be sure to listen to your podcast. Is it tomorrow night you're gonna shoot yeah. it or you're doing Thursdays?
0: Uh no, it's switching to Sunday while I'm while I'm doing these uh bartending classes. It'll be Sunday. Okay.
1: Well on Sundays be sure to listen to the NBA podcast, it's great. Uh like I said, me and Ronell will be doing a, uh, another wrestling podcast on Monday, we'll talk about the Elimination Chamber, the WWE pay-per-view that's on this Sunday, and also what happens on AEW on Wednesday, and then obviously the RC Report, which uh, I love that he came out with the Politics uh, podcast. I hadn't seen the RC report in a couple of weeks, and then he comes up with a Democratic uh, primary podcast. That, that is one smart dude, and I, I know Joe Matz was on there, who is a ridiculously smart guy. So there is a lot of good content on this. Be sure to rate, review, share it. Join the Ivy Sports page if you're hearing this podcast and you're not in the group. And uh, again, if you want to make some bets, go to my bookie. IV Sports promo code and uh, you're going to get a bonus on your first deposit. And uh, we will be back next week, hopefully, with more Ric Flair intros, uh, puffing our chest and talking about what would be an insane run if we could give you a winner four weeks in a row uh, for the tournament. We hope to stay hot. And uh, this has been another edition of the backdoor cover on the Ivy Sports podcast feed, and we will see you guys soon
0: here comes the money here we go money talk here comes the money money money